Hey guys, I'm Chris. Hey everybody, I'm Robert. And we're the Film Flamers. And, per tradition, at the start of the year, we uh, set fire to the rain <laughs> to the previous year. <laughs> <laughs> Up in flames, 2023, right? This is, the, this is the one where we talk about all of the great and not so great films, horror films or horror adjacent films of the previous year. Maybe not so many films, or not only films. Sometimes we talk about television, or at large. Mostly. It's a celebration, or depending on how you feel, a celebration of visual horror <laughs> of the previous year. So we'll be talking about some of our favorites and not so favorites, and hopefully some things that you missed so that we can tell you to go watch them. That's right. And as it turns out, maybe some middle of the road movies as well. Maybe a sea of those. Yes, perhaps. And other films as well. Like Moses, we shall part. <laughs> the sea. We'll part the sea of mediocrity to bring you the good and the bad. <laughs> uh, so maybe this year you want to do it a little differently and uh, talk about our 10 favorite horror movies and then talk about some of the not so good ones. Oh, yeah. Let's reveal our top 10. Let's do that. And this year we're doing it even especially different because our lists ended up being so similar that we decided to kind of just combine them. That's right. In the past, there have been a smattering of movies that have made it up to both of our top tens, but they have been vastly different sometimes in placement. And this year does not seem to be the case for that. Right. So, so we fed both of our lists into chat GPT for the most state-of-the-art top ten list. And it promptly got it wrong, so I had to do it manually and break out my calculator on my phone. That's right. So you're still doing math. That's good. Yeah. Anyway, well, should we start at the bottom and work our way up? Yes, per tradition. All right. Well, starting with number 10 is, and this is a surprise to me, Cobweb. I was also surprised that this movie made it into my top 10. Yeah, and this is by, I don't know this director, Samuel Bodin. Bodin? Um, Samuel Bodin. Yeah, he's directed some French movies. I have never heard of him, really. But I was surprised at how much I really enjoyed this movie. Mostly because, like, it played in the theaters for, like, a second. Like, you know, blink and you've missed it moment in the summertime. And I remember, like... I don't remember seeing a trailer for it. I just saw like a poster art. Or yeah, I didn't either. But for the longest time, I want to say three or four months, um, my husband, Matt, was telling me that he had heard that it was good and that we should watch it. Um, of course, both he and I were a little bit more middle of the road on it than you were, but I knew that you would like it. And I really loved its setup for a possible franchise because no spoilers, but what gets introduced in this movie could easily be something that's in several movies to come. Yes. And that makes me very excited, you know, without giving too much away, obviously. But um, this movie is really good because it went to places that I wasn't expecting. And in last year, like that didn't really happen a lot watching horror movies. Like everything seemed so... Yeah. And so uh, this movie actually is about uh, a little boy who is living at home with his parents and things are a little off. And uh, he starts having problems at home and at school and uh, he starts hearing some voices and uh, that's where our story kind of begins. And I think like it begins and starts to go into other places and like 
the one thing that I really didn't care for in this movie really was some of the acting choices, mostly from Lizzie Kaplan. Yeah, kind of peculiar there, but it's always fun to see Lizzie Kaplan. Yeah. And the guy from The Boys. Yes. Who plays her husband and this little boy's parents, right? There's obviously something wrong with them or something's just, you know, like Chris said, off. But it goes to really surprising places. The movie takes place in Halloween and it's completely rewatchable in my That's opinion. That's right. We could We could have that as a Halloween movie. Right, and I, f- I feel like it's a really good yearly Halloween watch. I mean, there's nothing but fucking pumpkins in this movie. And, you know, what's more Halloween than that? Really? That's right. There are certainly more halloween movies, like Trick or Treat or The Guest or something like that. But That's true. But Halloween still. Yeah. Holiday is. horror. Of For course sure. I loved it. Shall we move on? Yes. And our number nine movie is something else that I was also pleasantly surprised with. And that is Megan or M3 again. Yes. And I was kind of shocked as well because I was very, very late to this bandwagon. And of course, familiarity and popularity breed contempt. Yeah. As we all know and have seen with big franchises like Marvel and Avatar and things like that. When things get too popular, people are like, no, I don't want to see it. I'm special. And I was that way and I didn't want to see it. So I actually made myself sit down and watch it and I had a fucking blast. It was fun. For real. And I'm sure most people have seen it at this point, but still we're not going to spoil a whole lot from this top 10 list because we want you to go watch these movies if you have not. But much like you, I wasn't really interested in seeing M3 again. And like it was released in January. That's almost never a good sign for horror movies. And I was like, I've already seen a movie about a killer doll. I've seen many, many of them. I don't need another one. And I watched it like in the springtime after it was released onto Peacock. And I was just like, what the fuck is this movie? Yeah, even? I didn't watch it until December. <laughs> yeah. You were a little late to the game, but, um, I don't know. This movie is really good because it is not what you are expecting. Like if you have a preconceived notion about what Megan is, you're wrong. Like this movie hits a very deliberately like alternating tone in it. But it's kind of still stays within the lines. Yes. Like it knows itself and it strikes a tone and it's all very on purpose. Right? It goes it strays very, very little. There's it's not a you know, it has its problems. Right. But it's largely just succeeds just in having a nice popcorn fun. I almost want to say it's this year's malignant. Yeah, I would definitely say that. Um, I, I feel like this movie alternates from from like really melodramatic moments to like this weird tongue in cheek, like satire even. Right. And like it just works for it. And like, do yourself a favor when you watch it. Make sure you watch the unrated director's cut, the one with all the gore, you yeah. know? And like, I did not apparently, I mean, it's just, it was delightful and fun. I had a really good time and I was shocked. I tell you at how much I liked Megan. Right. And one thing that I really like about that director, Jared Johnstone, is that he also directed Housebound. That's right. So if you haven't seen Housebound, uh, that came out well, five, six, seven, eight, I don't know, years ago. Within the Plus. last, yeah. yeah. And it's just a really good, I think it's a British comedy. Or Australian, um, something like Australian, that. Australian, yeah. yeah. But it's really, really funny. You know, like um, robotic te- teddy bear and stuff like that. And um, it's kind of actually similar to Cobweb in a way. It's true. Um, but uh, also Allison Williams from Get Out is the lead. And she was good in, in this in movie. She was great. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, again, just shocked at how much it, I loved it. Next up, we've got Knock at the Cabin. Now, of course, this is based on a novel, uh, but this was directed by M. Night Shyamalan, Shockingly, and uh, stars uh, a big cast, including, you know, Ron from Harry Potter franchise, uh-huh. but also Dave Batista, 
who's also mainly known, I think, from uh, Marvel and mm-hmm. uh, Dune now. But of course, he did a fantastic job. Surprisingly. And a small cast, single location, you know, in a cabin, very kind of gay friendly, kind of interesting choice for, for mainstream horror and mostly successful, although I hated the ending. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I I liked the ending more than you did. I didn't really have a problem with it, but um, this is something that Chris and I saw together in the theater and right after it came out, because I loved this book so much when I read it and I was really anticipating this movie. And I think that the differences that the movie had from the book, like sort of worked for it. Like they sort of stood alone. And um, I just really, really liked Dave Bautista's performance. And I re- also really liked like the queer aspect to it. Right. So you told me what the, the book ending was. And I think we discussed it. And I think we decided, or at least I decided, that I liked the book ending better. Yes. Yes, we did at the time. Yeah. So, I liked it because these characters are incidentally gay and dads. Yeah, right? totally incidentally. It's not over the top. It's just they are who they are. And they have adopted a little girl. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just trying to have a vacation. And then these people come along who are insane. Well, right. they may or may not be insane, I should I say. I mean, that's, that's the twist. Yeah, right? but we don't want to. Yeah. And you can expect twists because in Night Shyamalan, right? You know, he has to do it. He just is compelled. He can't help himself. Right. So, but otherwise it's just shot beautifully. It's acted wonderfully. It's directed meticulously. I would say I would watch it again. I would recommend it. Obviously it's on, it's our number eight on our top 10. Yeah. I mean, and it's also streaming now. So, I mean, a lot of these movies are very, very easily acceptable. So yeah, yeah accessible. So yeah, it's kind of like the strangers, except it's a little bit more twisted than that. You know, it's a little bit yeah. more accessible than that. Too. I mean, it's a little daylight horror. Yeah. Very it's, daylight horror. Very daylight horror. It's very like there are some like supernaturally-ish moments in it. It's also home invasion-y, yeah. you know? Um, and it has some genuinely scary moments to it. Like I, I really thought that it was a good movie. Yeah, you know? that's hard to do with daylight horror sometimes. And I really dig that. And the performance by Dave Bautista was shocking to me. Like I, I didn't know that he had that level of acting in him, really. Yeah, he doesn't want to be performance. lumped in with the other like people that came from like boxing and yeah. wrestling or whatever. He doesn't he he actively says, I do not do what they do. Mm-hmm. Right. So he really wants to be an actor with a capital A, you know. And I feel like that's evident in in this particular movie. Easily. And so. he was he's I mean he's been in Villeneuve movies since Blade Runner twenty forty nine. And now in Dune and stuff. Uh, an MCU. And and with this, I feel like he's definitely um, proven his acting chops that he has a wide, wide range. But again, this is one that I would definitely watch. Very gentle giant. Yes. I want to hug him, you know, (laughs) or maybe not so gentle. We'll, we'll find out when you watch it. (laughs) What's next? Our number seven movie of 2023 was Thanksgiving. Ooh, two holiday movies so far. That's right. Holiday horror abound up in here. Right. Uh, Thanksgiving was something that I think Chris and I were both looking forward to ever since we saw the fake trailer for it during Grindhouse. Many, many years ago. Decades ago. 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, for me, like that fake Eli Roth trailer for the the grindhousey slashery. That's the one we Thanksgiving wanted the most. Yeah. Was the movie that I wanted to see. We got Machete. We from, did get Machete. Yeah. And I was like, and Machete's great, you know. But like all these years, I'm like, where the hell is Thanksgiving? And then when Eli Roth announced that he was going to be making it, I was like, yes. And then I found out it was going to be set present day, and I was just like, oh no, like that's going to be bad. And then I went to go see this in the theater, and I just had the best fucking time watching this movie. He's a competent director every time. I don't think he's made a bad movie. 
No, I, I, I like all of Eli Roth's movies. And the thing I like most about him and the thing I like most about Thanksgiving is that he can very easily pay homage to like subgenres of horror or like past like horror influences and still make his own movie. It really felt like a 90s horror movie. It did. Like this felt like. A scream, or I know what you did last Definitely summer. Definitely on the side of I know what you did last summer. For yeah, sure. so they could have called this like scream if you know what I did last Thanksgiving. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> like it's it's a little it's slashery, but it's also a mystery. It's a who done it. You know, like the slasher, the killer could be any one of this cast. It was almost a better scream sequel than the scream sequel we got this year. Oh, uh, for sure. I mean, although that wasn't bad either. No, it wasn't, you know, um, but, but it's not on our top 10. <laughs> no, it did not quite make it. Although for a large chunk of the year, that screen movie wasn't because it came 10. out very early. Exactly. <laughs> That's the only reason why. But I thought like the acting was good in this. I thought the gore was good in Thanksgiving. Uh, it was surprisingly funny or maybe not so surprisingly because it's an Eli Roth movie. Um, but I just, I thought it was fun. Eli Roth movies I always have a little tongue in their cheek. Yeah. And I, I don't know. There were just some moments in this movie that I thought was like, this is just really, really great. And I yeah. left that theater like super happy. I mean, for goodness sakes, like there's a Thanksgiving dinner involving a corpse. You know what I mean? <laughs> but it still somehow is funny. I kind of still wanted it to be more than it was, you know, in moments. But this is not really a review. This is just our list. But well, it is kind of a review because I mean, maybe if it had pushed its boundaries a little bit more and made it a little bit more shocking, it could have been yeah, higher. It felt know? a little PG thirteen. Yeah. Um, certainly not PG-13 back in the 90s. No. Been, certainly are. But. but it needed something else. I feel like anybody who's seen an Eli Roth movie knows that he can He's know no shy. bounds. Yeah, yeah, he can know. Certainly. I mean, when he came out of the gate swinging with Cabin Fever, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like he can do more shocking gore than the stuff in this. I mean, the Green Inferno, case in point, you know, but I feel like this is like a very accessible Eli Roth movie. Yeah, I just either wanted it to be a little more serious or more tongue-in-cheek. It yep. just like kept on. It didn't quite um, thread the needle like Megan did, even though it's higher on our list because it's just more consistently good quality. I don't know. I don't know why it's higher. Well, and this is the third movie that we've talked about so far that I feel like could be some sort of a franchise, right? We already oh, talked yeah. about possible sequel for Cobweb. For sure. Megan clearly could have a sequel. And I feel like this is a really good slasher killer, right? So yeah. bring it on. Bring more of it. So up next is our number six, which is Leave the World Behind. And this is directed by Sam Esmail. Uh, stars Julia Roberts and Maharasha Ali and Ethan Hawke and Michaela Harold. And this was a shocker for me. I did never expected in a million years that I would be adding this to my top 10 or even really watching it until I'd kept seeing it on some lists, you yeah. know, and then like you had seen it. And, and but this was a very late addition to my top 10. And I was kind of and still am kind of shocked at how good it is. It has so much to say and it's so economical about it with so few cast and such limited location. You know, it's very Stephen Kingy in it a way, yeah. but like almost like in a modern sense, you know. And so um, I was really, really impressed with that. I love Julia Roberts in this. Uh, I thought it was kind of in a, in a way kind of brave for her. Mm-hmm. In some ways, to play this role, uh, I thought everyone did a great job. Maharashi Ali is always good. Uh, Ethan Hawke was fun to see, and Mahela Harold was a standout. 
Yeah, I've really, really loved her performance in this. And um, actually, the, the two female leads, because Julia Roberts did an excellent job in this movie. I mean, I make no like qualms about monologues. I, I stand a monologue. And this movie did not disappoint when it came to them. Yeah, and they seem very natural mm-hmm. to be, like, versus like some Mike Flanagan now. I'm like, okay, we're heading into a monologue, you know? Yeah. If like people leave a room and there's only two people left, you know, there's going to be a monologue, you know, versus like it felt very natural. Um, although the same thing's happening. Um, it felt very natural and leave the world behind. And um, it really did also strike a tone. And if you're OK with like post-apocalyptic or like experiencing the apocalypse, essentially. Uh, but if you're OK with some ambi- ambiguity in your ending, maybe not as stark as like or upsetting as the mist. But um, some ambiguity in your ending and just want to enjoy the ride and the point of it being kind of ambiguous and that kind of being part of the point. I think you really, really enjoy this and I will enjoy it and recommend it for years to come. Yeah. I mean, you kind of took the words out of my mouth, too. I mean, I I think that the thing I liked the most about Leave the World Behind was unanswered questions. Right. Mm. And I, I feel like people get too wrapped up sometimes in the why of it all Yeah. when that's not the scariest thing, right? The scariest thing is just literally what's happening. If you just focus on the events and focus less on explanation or exposition, right, you just have a much better movie. Well, it was a really good point because it's like, I don't want to get too philosophical. You know, we could go back to Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning or whatever, where we always need a reason why things happen to give them and ascribe them meaning so we can get through it, you know, and think about it in a certain way and categorize it in our brains. And it's like if this were actually going to happen and we didn't have any media or anything else and people were actually trying to confuse us and there could be a supernatural element or there could be like a political element or whatever. It almost doesn't matter if the only point left is to survive, right, and to be human. And so it's just a really, really interesting story and point of view by the end of the film where it begins and where it ends is completely different. And I think it's an achievement. And I would agree. And I I feel like a lot of people might argue that this isn't a horror movie, right? And I mean, it is squarely horror adjacent, but like the whole entire movie is filled with like horror moments and horror beats. Totally. And it is super tense from start to finish. Like it is a masterclass in tension. And most of that is in the daylight as well. Exactly. There's a lot of daylight horror going on this year. And I feel like out of all of our top 10, or at least the movies that we've talked about so far, like this is the first thing that I would say this needs to be deep dive. Yeah, know? this is begging for a deep dive. And like, I feel like there's a lot to talk about in this particular movie. And I feel like on subsequent watches, you'll get a lot more out of it because I watched it and then watched it again with you. And I liked it so much more the second time. Like I raised my rating. I raised its like ranking in my list on Letterboxd and I was just like, I'm kind of hungry to watch it again because I feel like I miss things. And I I think that speaks very highly of a movie. I definitely need to to digest it for a few weeks, but now I could watch it again. And now we can say that we have a horror movie on a top 10 list that was produced by Barack and Michelle Obama. That's true. I forgot about that. (laughs) Right. It was in the credits. Yep. The first time I watched it, I was just like, now what? I had to like fast rewind a little bit. I'd be like, it does say Barack and Michelle Obama. And there's some racial commentary that kind of reminds you of the Obamas a little bit. Yeah. And kind of a little bit of what they went through. I mean, I, I just, I feel like people need to see this movie. And um, I know that when it was first released on Netflix, like it was at the top of its like weekly or daily list for a very long time. I know people are still watching it. And I think that more people will start to discover it. Right. But word of mouth needs to happen for sure. Like if you haven't seen leave the world behind, go do it for sure right now. 
Uh, number five of our horror list from 2023 is a Netflix series, actually. So long format horror. And this is Mike Flanagan's Fall of the House of Usher. Right. And of course, we're Flana fans. And I love that this is in our top five. And as we head into our top five, I can't think of a better contender than to include something by Mike Flanagan. And I love that his miniseries are included in a letterboxed, you know, and are kind of included in, in movies. And I think more miniseries should be mm-hmm. included in things like the Oscars, maybe, and, and other things. So um, this was, again, kind of almost a return to form in, in my you know, in my head, because Mike Flanagan's done a few series um, like uh, Midnight Club, where he's gone and he's directed like the first and, and last episode. Right. I think Bly Manor was kind of like that. And then he kind of fucked off and other directors came in and you can tell and they have suffered for it um, because the directors that he brings in aren't quite as good as him. Although he got he found a director for Fall of House of Usher that he did like every other episode. And uh, including the finale, and they are essentially kind of ghost directing in his style and did a very, very good job. And I think he was closer to this one. And Follow the House of Usher uh, also brings in new cast, right? And so um, with this and Midnight Mass and Haunting of Hill House, I think those are like his top three that he's done. And also kind of the end of his... um, his story on Netflix because he's moving over to Amazon mm-hmm. and uh, some of the new casts that have come in is Mary McDonald from dances with wolves, Battlestar Galactica fame, Madam um, president herself. Yep. And Mark Hamill from star Wars and you know, everything else fame who I think was super exceptional. They were both this. amazing, especially Mark Hamill. Yeah. I thought he did a very, very good job. I mean like, and we we're fans of his acting trope troop regardless, you know, like yeah. we, we like all of them. Kate Siegel, I wish she'd bring Rockley. back some folks from, um, uh, Oculus, because he hasn't worked with those people again. He but... is. Though. He is. So he has a movie coming out based on a Stephen King short novel called The Life of Chuck. Okay. And what's her name um, from Oculus and Guardians of the Galaxy is returning. To, oh, great! To for that. Okay, I forget so, her name. Uh, I was thinking Katie Sackoff since we've mentioned Madam President because mm-hmm. Katie oh, Sackoff, right. of course, was in Battlestar and she played the mother in Oculus. I, and I think that people want to keep working with him, and yeah. maybe because now he's going to be developing the Dark Tower series. Okay. Right. Probably over on Amazon, although that hasn't been completely announced yet. I feel like there's a lot of characters throughout those novels that he can bring some of these actors back. And um, and they seem to want to work with him all the time, right? And Follow the Hesse Usher, for me, was good. And I, I feel like we've talked about this already on a Shooting the Flames, like when it was first released on Netflix. Um, so we've given some thoughts about it. But like it really was a return to form. And I was like enthralled with this like all the way through. I thought he made all the best choices when trying to adapt Edgar Allan Poe. Like he modernized the stories, but stayed very, very true to the original work. And he made each episode kind of like standalone, but contained in this whole universe. And it just really, really worked for me on multiple levels. Yeah. It was really, really well constructed. Yes. um, And carefully architected, I think. And um, he did a good job. uh, And I, and it's on my top 10 and obviously it combined into our top five here. I think it was a little higher on your list. Uh, for me, I am starting to to really see the pattern, though. Now that we have enough Mike Flanagan out there, I really just see that pattern of monologue, monologue, monologue. And I love the monologues, but it's like I can predict things that are happening. And then he's he seems to sometimes be relying more on jump scares and yeah. reveals. 
than he is on actual like creeping dread um things that he was able to really really do well back in oculus or even haunting of hill house day for sure that and he has not really done that really consistently since those days and has relied more on just like the gothic uh, environment of his stories being darker toned and then his monologues and jump scares and so i'm getting a little bit frayed at the edges of that you know and i don't know how to describe it just a little bit fatigued i think that's fair you know and i feel like i feel like it's maybe it's time for flanagan to to leave that format behind for a little bit like not everything has to be long format television like he makes really good standalone like feature length films you know yeah and I, I feel like i mean it's been a minute since dr sleep was released you know and so like i'm not sure if life of chuck is like a multi-part movie it's being described as a movie i'm not sure if it's going to be streaming or like we don't know very much about it at all um but i kind of hope that it is just a feature length movie because i i kind of miss a shorter format flanagan too me too um you know yeah I mean, because I, I as he much has to as, kill more of his darlings that way, you know, because yeah. he has to fit it all into a two hour time slot. And even Dr. Sleep, there's a cut of it that's almost like two and a half or three hours. Right. And which is a good cut, which know? is a great cut, you know, but he does have to, like, you know, boil things down to their essence a little bit more. We reel really, it in. We yeah. really sidetracked here. Speaking of reeling it in. <laughs> Enough. God. I know. Well, this happens. <laughs> anyway, right. we love you, Mike Flynn. Again, we want season of passage. <laughs> <laughs> bring it already yeah uh next up on our list are num- is number four and this is accused and i don't think this is going to be on any other lists i haven't seen it on any other lists i have not it doesn't have the best ratings on letterbox but for some reason uh we saw this at the overlook film festival and uh this is directed by philip Rantini, and um it stars Janiel Kular, and he does an amazing job as someone kind of mistakenly viewed as a terrorist essentially mm-hmm. and of course he is like indian or, or pakistan i don't know like uh arabic descent i've forgotten yeah he's kind of framed just because he l- had the skin color and was kind of wearing a similar outfit of course the terrorist ended up being i think it was like a white guy mm-hmm. but it doesn't matter um because the internet got hold of it and falsely accused him and tracked him down and it's basically a home invasion movie and the tension that this movie ra- ratchets up and he's very human through this. It doesn't treat him like some sort of tragic hero. He is kind of a coward throughout half of it because, you know, as he should be. These people are descending on him in his family's home and it's fucking terrifying. It reminds me of The Strangers. I probably haven't been as tense in a movie since then. And uh, it just I feel like it's it's as good as it is important. And for a long time during this year, it was my number one. Uh, it was really high on my list throughout the entire year, and I feel like it was one of our one of our favorite movies, obviously from the Overlook. Yeah, and um, we were quite surprised by it because we went into this movie like really not knowing anything about it, and I feel like that's really it's a good way to watch this movie for the tension alone. I feel like out of our top 10, that's like the common theme through these things. Like we have chosen movies that are really, really good at tension building. And this one for sure is. And what's really good about it is that you just have no idea where it's going. Like I kept thinking that the movie was winding down and then it wasn't, and it would like ratchet back up again. And I don't know. It was just really, really shocking at, 
like my response to it, how scared I was when I was watching it. And it's not even like a traditional kind of horror movie. No, but it's really well paced and it does give you a few moments to breathe. Mm -hmm. And then it was right back into it, but not too much because it's just, it's building that, you know, pressure cooker essentially of a movie. And it does it really, really well. And you can kind of see people and how they react and, you know, who they are as a person, you know, like him and his girlfriend and like That's right. his parents and stuff, and his and neighbor, so, things like that. Yeah. His neighbor. Exactly. And so he's <laughs> like, you really see it's like, um, it's one of those, you know, movies where it's kind of like, um, micro microcosm, a microcosm of like you, the environment yeah. that you live in. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, this is a British film and like, it's, I don't know. It was just really, really good. And I, was we left the festival and I was thinking to myself, like this movie is going to fucking explode, you know, and people are going to be talking about it. And I just have heard nothing. No. And it it was just like, had this really, really soft release. It was really held back for a while. And I was confused why they didn't just release it. And I don't know where it was released eventually. Um, I don't know if it's on Hulu or if it's, (laughs) I have no idea. You know, or if it even was released, I don't know, but I, I just hope people can watch it. I know it was released. It is released. It you, you can, you know, because uh, I some people have talked about it. I've seen it on social media. It's kind of hard to find, though, too, because there's like a TV show and then another movie that, that are kind of recent called Accused. Yeah. And they should have picked a better title. Yeah. Like, obviously, but like it's a really good movie and we cannot stop recommending it. So definitely go and watch it. I feel like we also gushed all over this movie in our episode on the overlook when we got back. Right. So mm-hmm. uh, our number three movie from 2023 is another film that we first saw at the overlook. And that is a little blockbuster called talk to me. Right. This is from, this is the one that a 24 picked up. I think they picked it up as we were, or right after we were out of the overlook possibly. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah, they were able to sign and we were, we got really excited about it. I think it was the secret screening. It was. So we uh, had no idea what we were going into standing in line to see this movie. And um, we're like, okay, it's talk to me. And people seemed excited about it in the theater. Yep. Again, it's a movie that we knew very, very little about. And Chris and I both loved it when we watched it. We left. It's another example of leaving the theater, just sort of like loving a movie and expecting it to to blow up and be very, very popular. And this one didn't disappoint. Like it, it made a good chunk of money while playing in the movie theaters over the summer after its release and is already slated to have sequels and prequels and things like that. So it's built a universe for itself. Right. And uh, these directors, Michael and Danny uh, Filippo, Filippo, now they were just like YouTube guys, right? Doing like short films and stuff like that. And so this is their first film out the gate and they did an amazing job. And of course, I always see it, love seeing Miranda Otto of Lord of the Rings fame as well as a couple of other things. And uh, Sophie Wilde did an amazing job in this. Sophie Wilde is the the lead actress, lead character in this movie yeah. is is really, really good. I really like the the universe that they created for this, right? The rules around the things that they did. Um, and like Chris and I were sort of like ready for this movie to be released because we wanted to support it. And after the overlook, I feel like, you know, we talked about this movie quite a bit and encouraged people to watch it. In fact, we went, we paid to go see it again in the theater in the summertime, like after it was released. And I don't know, did, did your response to it change 
like on that second viewing I at think all? a little bit I, th- I think it was you know obviously at the film festival it's a mixed bag so you see like a string of bad movies in a row when one that's like halfway decent comes around it's like yeah. holy shit that was amazing uh-huh. Oscars you know and it may not be the case uh, but we weren't the only ones everyone in these festivals was coming out talking talking about talk to me you know and uh, it had legs A24 obviously picked it up which was really rare I mean obviously when these things happen you usually see like XYZ or some of the other you know uh, Neon pick these up you know but A24 picked this up to distribute and decided they were going to put and they try and make it a tentpole and it kind of was and it was kind of a blockbuster but again I say you know popularity breeds contempt and it's like something can really grow legs and grow by word of mouth and this certainly did and it was a success but like critically people started to be like "Mm, it's not as good as you you know And, and the ratings you know kind of went down a little bit Versus something has to be just like really out there and subvert all expectations. You just have to have no clue what you're walking into for it to survive that level of uh, popularity and word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Something along the lines of everything everywhere all at once. It's true. It's only now it's getting people going, oh, it wasn't that good, you know, which is bullshit. So, so, but I, I feel like Talk to Me is completely rewatchable. I, We'll never stop recommending this movie to people who are looking for something. And it just, again, shows you that A24 can make thought-provoking, serious horror films and then also make something that's really, really fun and exciting, which is still, nonetheless, thought-provoking, right? Yeah, and we've talked about this before, but just talk to me as technically about like a group of kind of high schoolers that have – uh, it's kind of an allusion to drugs mm-hmm. where this they talk to this hand, <laughs> this gypsy, <laughs> mummified gypsy hand or something, and they can hold on to it for only so long. And they're basically getting possessed by these ghosts or spirits. And it's kind of like getting high or something, doing whippets or something. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, when they abuse that, what happens? And so it's really interesting and bizarre and fun. So right. if you've been living under a rock, go see Talk to Me. Well, bring on the sequel, too. Talk to me, comma two. Yeah. Talk number two, me. Oh, God. <laughs> Please, no. It's what's going to be. Talk three, me. <laughs> we can do all the threes. Talk three, three again. <laughs> three again. Throw one, three in. So our number two is a little movie called When Evil Lurks. And I don't know. A lot of people within the horror community, I think, have seen this because they're familiar with this director and a lot of the casual horror enjoyers probably have not because it probably wasn't in theaters where they were a Spanish language. It's by Damien Rugna, who, if you recall, did a little movie called terrified, which we did a deep dive into. And it's one of the scariest movies, if not the scariest movie that we've ever covered. And I feel like when evil lurks is continuing that trend for this director. Cause this movie is fucking terrifying. It's not as terrifying as terrified. No, but it definitely has its moments where it kind of breaks the kind of unspoken rules of horror when concerning women, children, animals, gore, violence, you know, not that there's animal death. No, not really. So I don't think there's animal death, but there's animals involved in death. (laughs) Not to spoil anything, but um, this is kind of a wet Grinch salad. 
And I love ballsy movies like this. And it's kind of another post-apocalyptic. If I probably would have enjoyed it more the first time I watched it, if I had kind of understood. Um, Sometimes um, non-English movies are a little bit faster in their their setup. Mm -hmm. And they don't have like the title cards explaining the plot like American audiences need because we're so dumb. But um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, it's it's apparently it's post-apocalyptic, post-religion. And it's kind of, you know, a zombie movie, essentially kind of or a possession movie, right? The best possession movie of the year. Definitely better than that other fucking piece of shit. Which we will get into at some point in this conversation for sure. But, but definitely, if you're looking for something new and different and you liked Terrified or you liked um, Dark and the Wicked and you like things kind of like that, like the slow build and shocking moments and stuff like that, definitely more shocking than than um, Dark and the Wicked. But uh, I would definitely recommend When Evil Lurks. And talk about like top of lists, right? So I mean, like Wind Evil Lurks is literally on everyone's horror list really? this year, toward the top of it. Damn. Yeah. So I feel like, like it's not just us. Good. Okay. I feel like people who are ranking horror and talking about like best horror movies of the year, this is this is on no one's list. There's no exceptions. Like it was just well received right. critically, and I agree again. I like it when movies don't have to explain too much. This movie explains just enough to really get you to kind of understand the world in which these characters live in. It's just another example of a really created universe that just works for this particular movie. And like, it's the one time this year that I scrimped out loud, like <laughs> loudly yeah. watching something. I jumped so high out of my seat and screamed. And I was just like, now what? <laughs> the scream like, in which you scrimped. I swear, like, the first, like, 30, 40 minutes of this movie is, like, breakneck. And I'm like, we were watching it, and Chris is like, do you need a break? I'm like, yes, I need a moment to catch my breath because this movie is not letting me. It is just like... Not that it's action-packed. It's just, like, it's the tension is just mounting. And mounting yeah, and, mounting, and it, it gets to be so much, but in the most enjoyable way. Like, we finished this movie, and I was just like, this movie's amazing. Like, five stars, fully. I rated this movie five stars wow. on Letterboxd. And I just think that it's really, really good. And this director is so good at making horror movies. And I cannot wait to see what else he puts out there. And I know that there was an anthology movie that he had a piece in called Satanic Hispanics. (laughs) Satanic Hispanics, yeah, I need to see it still. That I really want to see just based on the title alone, you know. But obviously we can't see every movie that comes out in 2023. So, Or any year for that matter. But when evil lyrics, guys... It's on Shutter, like, you know, our AMC Plus at this point, you know, so go watch it. Find it where you can, because it is a really good horror movie, and I think more people need to see it. Yeah, if you don't mind a uh, <laughs> uh, wet Grinch salad, I mean, go watch that thing. It's not happy, <laughs> that's for sure. It's a mean movie. <laughs> yes, it really is. It is mean-spirited, <laughs> but in the best, most enjoyable ways. If you like that sort of thing. <laughs> And I do. Yes. All right. So we've reached the moment where we talk about our favorite horror movie of the year. Our number one movie is a movie that I can almost guarantee you have never seen. (laughs) Yes. Maybe not even heard of. God, we're little contrarian bitches, aren't we? I mean, sometimes we just can't help ourselves. But every once in a while, something comes along that makes you so happy and so scared and just really excited to be horror fans. And this is something called the... Let's not do the reveal quite yet. Okay. Because I'm sure people are guessing, right? Oh. This movie 
is made by uh, a very young, upcoming filmmaker who mm-hmm. is trying to capture a certain feeling. And uh, they did they did so uh, very, very successfully. And I think there's actually two movies like that this year. And you probably think we're talking about the big one that adds on everyone's list yeah. called fucking Skinamarink. And guess what? That's not our number one. No. It is not. It is not Skinamarink. What is it, Robert? It's called The Oldest View. And it's technically not even a movie. But... It's over a short, right? So it's in three parts mm-hmm. and it's called The Oldest View. And uh, the first part is kind of skippable. <laughs> I yeah. don't really understand it. Mm-hmm. I need someone to explain it. And then the second part is kind of an intro, which is longer, more like 15, 20 minutes, I think. Yep. And then the last part is more like 45 minutes, right? And so if you take those together, it's higher than like the typical 50 minute limit for a short film. Yeah. So this is a feature film, folks. It's on YouTube. It's just in three parts. And really, it's those last two parts um, of the oldest view that you need to see. And it might especially be kind of upper alleys because it takes place in a dilapidated, closed mall. And it's the Valley View Mall, I believe, which Mm -hmm. is my oldest view uh, from the Dallas area that we probably scampered around as teenagers and kids at some point. Had been in many times. Yes. And I recognize some of it. And you can watch YouTube videos of people actually going through it before it was demolished and seeing a lot of the stores and signs and props and statues and different things that are in there in real life. And this filmmaker kind of uh, is famous. His name is Kane Parsons. And he went and did uh, some creepypasta from the internet that had been floating around for quite a while called The Back Rooms. Yep. Right? Clipping into the back rooms. You know, if you go into like this other reality and you're just in the back rooms of a mall or a store somewhere. Um, it's been in creepypastas and different forms and various uh, in various stories over the last 10 years or so, probably. Right. Uh, I think the never ending Ikea is one of those stories anyway. So anyway, this guy kind of visualized the backgrounds in his own shorts for the first time. That's right. And then he went on and did this and he's only like 19 years old at this point. Which is outstanding. And because of this and his previous work that he's released on YouTube, he is now getting to do a feature length movie of the back rooms with none other than James Wan producing. So we are going to be looking at this kid's career very, very closely because this is cosmic horror. This is psychological thriller, mystery, supernatural, fuck, I don't fucking know. It's genre-defying, you know what I mean? Or sub-genre-defying. It's almost found footage. Well, I guess it is found footage. Yeah, it, it is found footage. And it's also mixed media because parts of it are filmed but the vast majority of it is animated but you wouldn't know that i had no idea it it looks so real this kid uh used various you know animation programs on his computer uh either game engines or otherwise and then you know put some you know recording video style stuff on it to make it look real and you're not sure which because he had to painstakingly do some of those details and scan those in I don't know how he did that. I still am kind of astounded by his achievement here as far as what he was able to visualize in this and how much compositing he did, what's real and what's not. You'll never know because, of course, while you're watching it for the first time, unless some idiot podcaster is telling you that it's not real. (laughs) (laughs) 
It is. You know, it's for for all intents and purposes, it is. And so it's very, very special. And it's also the scariest thing I've probably saw all year. That includes When Evil Lurks. When Evil Lurks has definitely more gore and shocking moments. But the oldest view really has you on edge and really creeps the fuck out of you. It just works on like a very basic horror level, right? And and succeeds and is really, really quite terrifying because I had no idea that this thing even existed until you're like, hey, let's watch this. Like, we, I just watched it and I was like completely entranced by it the entire time. I could not like tear myself away from it. And I was just horrified the entire time. Like, it just seems so simple. But, like, I was completely, completely scared. It grows and grows and grows and grows and gets worse and worse. Right. And more and more surreal. And it's just amazing. It's just this kid walking through this mall and experiencing that over a series of days until he may or may not get trapped down there. But the whole thing is inexplicable, you know? Like, like there's this whole setup and you're like, I don't know. Like, you, you have no idea where this story is going. And again... It doesn't matter and it doesn't have to explain anything. It just is. It's almost not even cosmic horror. It's almost like reality horror or something, you know? I mean, because like if you're looking for explanation, like just stop and just enjoy it. And there are just some things that you're like, you wouldn't think would be super terrifying and maybe not at first glance. But as the movie goes on, like you just get more scared of the things that you've already seen in this movie. And there's almost no dialogue outside of this guy just talking to himself to kind of almost ease himself through this, you know, talking to his eventual audience, whoever's going to watch this, whatever he uploads it, if he ever gets a chance to, you know, Uh, turning off and on his phone flashlight to see things better and walking through this mall is just really, really well done. So if you get a chance, don't miss it and we'll probably put a link just in the show notes here because it's free on YouTube you can just go watch on your TV pull up you know YouTube or on your phone on your tablet and find the oldest view parts two and three if you do watch part one if you're curious it's it's really kind of weird and artsy and it's not it it doesn't really have much to do with the later parts unless I'm really just missing something uh, so don't, don't let that turn you down or turn you off. Uh, definitely watch two and three, though. I still don't know why they need part one, you know? Yeah. But, like, it, it, maybe the more I watch it, it'll start to make sense. And I have shown people this. Like, since you showed it to me, I've shown, like, two or three other people. Oh, I'm really? like, let's sit down and watch it. Like, I've watched it so many times now. Oh, really? So I just, I and I continuously get scared by it. Like, I've been scared every time. Awesome. So, yeah, five stars for me for the oldest view. Um, and since you mentioned Skinnamarink, I would say, like, that is the opposite side of this coin. Right. And so, like, that's in a lot of people's number ones. I think almost to be contrarian in a way because I did not enjoy that. Oh, God. I put in my review that if I was rating this as a student film, I'd rate it very highly indeed, mm-hmm. like four or five easily because it's it's really unique. And they do a good job at what they, they're trying to do, I guess, which is kind of cultivate a feeling. Uh, and many different feelings of being alone in a dark house as a child, you know, especially during like the 80s or something. Right. Which it kind of invokes. Right. But like trying to just sit through this. Um, it's not a group watch. No. And as a single person, it's just kind of boring. I was almost falling asleep. And that's kind of a cardinal sin for me. Like, so as a narrative film, like if, and especially if I'm going to compare it to The Oldest View, which is also kind of uh, in the same vein, really trying to invoke a feeling and a tone in a certain space and time, right? Um, And be kind of artistic about it, right? But The Oldest View has a narrative, uh, even though it has, like, less characters. 
you know, and probably even less dialogue if you count the whole thing. But Skin and Marink is a slog by For itself. Sure. It just it's so boring, although it has probably the best jump scare of the whole year, in my opinion, even better than Summon When Evil Lurks, the stupid fucking phone. I don't know. <laughs> so with the goddamn googly eyes. I need to be weary of this. And I, I say it all the time like any every year there's always something that's like oh it's the scariest movie ever made and blah blah everyone's going to be terrified by no. it and then it sort of catches my attention and so like this movie started to get buzz because it, it didn't start playing festivals until the end of 2022 and then they released it in this sort of like special one weekend only kind of thing in january or february like really really early in the year and so I was like, all right, I'll go see it. So I went to the theater by myself because I was like, it's only going to play for like a day. I better go see it. Yeah. And I, the whole time, was just sighing. And <laughs> I was just like, okay, like I something's going to happen. Something's bound to happen in yeah. this film. And then I'm like, no. Like turn after turn, I'm like, okay, it's just another shot of a wall or like a staircase yeah. or like people are talking, but you never get to see their faces really. Or they're like Charlie Brown and you can't really hear what they're saying. Yeah. And I'm like, it's like, like you said earlier as a student film. Yeah. I would say it's very successful, but like, it's just not, it's super, super boring. It is. And I feel like maybe if you're, you know, got into a really good headspace where you can pretend you're a kid and you have shut down all the lights in your house and you're alone and it's 3 a.m. and you put this thing on, you can really get into it. But I just couldn't. I'm. It's hard for me to get scared. And like, this is just like watching a screensaver. Yeah. Literally just, you know, and I there was a, a little bit of a story there, but I had to like read about it on Wikipedia because I just couldn't really piece it together. And it wasn't I didn't even bother to do that because I just didn't care. I had to work really, really hard to be part of this movie. And I don't, and I'm not going to blame the filmmakers there because I don't think they ever intended this, this to be popular. They were just trying to do what Kane Parsons was trying to do, just put something out there. Yeah. And then it just got some group on the internet just went crazy about it. It got picked up and put in theaters. And so it's not their really, really their fault, you know? And so that's why I said, I was careful to say like as a student film, as an art piece, I would rate this much, much higher than as a film, an operating film. And it just does not exist to me as a film. It exists as an art piece. And I am not trying to be contrarian with this because I know a lot of people really, really like this movie. I just don't see how. When I left the theater, people were watching this in groups and they were standing in the lobby or outside. Like I walked past one group and they were talking about just how wonderful it was and like how astounding it was. And I was just like, did we even watch the same fucking movie? Cause I was angry. How decadent, you know, it's like, it just feels <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, I feel so contrarian. You know, I was like, I just, I, would, I don't know. And like, I think people who listen to our podcast regularly know that I don't really give low ratings to things. Like to me, even watching a bad movie is still a good time. And I rarely ever go any lower than like two and a half stars for a movie. And to me, two and a half stars is like, like, oh, that I didn't care for that. I rated this movie half a star. Wow. Yeah. Like, I just I think I rated it like, like two. It. I think I rated it like two stars. I just can't fucking stand this movie. And, like, I don't know. It's on a lot of lists. It's a, it's a lot of number ones. People are still talking about it. It's streaming, you know? And I, I just, I don't get it. And maybe that's it, you know? Although, I, I don't think there's much to get in it. No, and the, it's kind of an interesting story. I mean, the, the kid went back to his um, childhood home, you know, and shot this film um, based on what he wanted to do and just got a bunch of angles and stuff like that. And then 
uh, was able to kind of put it together. It's very, very grainy, and probably a lot of it was done in post and, and other mm-hmm. things. But I don't know. Um, I'm just not into it. I feel like as a as a contender for horror film of the year or on a top ten, it doesn't belong there. It's not one of those. It wasn't intended to be. And I mean, so like that's the opposite side of the coin. Like I said, we just talked about 10 movies that we really, really liked from 2023 and then one that we really, really did not. But I think because well, it really, really contrasts with the oldest view for for sure. Yeah. Ha- even having not seen the oldest view, had I not watched that in 2023, I still wouldn't have liked Skinamarink. But I don't know that the director of Skinamarink is getting a you know production deal with James Wan. Probably right? not because he's not telling a story. But I think like my biggest takeaway from last year is that we literally had to wade through a sea of mediocrity all year long. Like it just every time I watched a horror movie, I was like, it was fine. You know, like it was, it we was okay. Three, we're, we're kind of a three and a half star podcast anyway, but we, we this year was a, a real three and a half star three yeah even three star yeah uh, kind of slog in in some ways and although i don't want to i don't want to like blame the franchises but a lot of that was the franchises scream was probably the best we had a lot of franchise entries into horror this year it was supposed to be a great year and maybe part of that is expectation building because we got scream and it was good but not great we got insidious which was meh the nun which was okay in my opinion the new exorcist film which was in my opinion fine but it was shitty for the franchise that it's supposed to be continuing. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be the prestige possession franchise of all time. And they brought in something that didn't bring anything new to the table and wasn't interesting or, or particularly great. And uh, Evil Dead, to me, was kind of the same. A lot of people loved it, though. And I don't want to, you know, yuck anyone's yum. Yes. <laughs> uh, and then Saw, of course, was surprisingly good. Um, you know, but the, the franchise has kind of let us down. We did not get a single, in my opinion, we did not get a single great entry from a major franchise. No. And like you said earlier, they were all just fine. Fine, if not kind of bad. I mean, I, I really Ranging enjoyed... from good to not great. Yeah. You know? I mean, I don't, I wouldn't say that I didn't see all of these franchise entries, you know what I mean? But I felt like I felt like the new screen movie was good. I think they made some changes that kind of like reinvigorated some of it. Yeah. Um, and I really like those directors, you know, so that was good. And Evil Dead, I feel like there was a lot of anticipation for it. And I don't think that it was a bad movie, you know? No. And we also saw that at Overlook. It, yeah. And we expected to just love it. And it was it was just OK. It was fine. You know, and like The Exorcist, uh, I was looking forward to that for quite some time. And I don't I don't know why I now will no longer ever trust David Gordon Green. No. With the the cinematic experience. We didn't before anyway. That's true. We were making fun of it before it ever came out. When it was announced, we were making fun of it. But, you know, still, I was still looking forward to it. And then, you know, from the from the first trailer on, I was just like, oh, God, I'm less excited. And then when that movie was released and it was kind of panned, not even kind of, it was panned. Body in the bud, body in the bud. Oh, my God, that little girl's talking in church. How shocking. I know. She's covered in blood. But like, I was like, this movie literally has stolen from the original, right? And made it way less shocking, way less scary, and just very, very ho-hum. I feel like with The Exorcist, it has some good ideas. The Exorcist Believer, that is, mm-hmm. has some good ideas that it didn't flesh out, you know? And so, like, by the time I got around to watching it, um, I was expecting to hate it, and I didn't. Just like every other horror movie I saw in 2023, I was like, 
it was okay. You know, mm-hmm. not as bad as I was expecting, but also not good. Yeah. You know? And so I feel like th- these franchises, like you said, just kind of suffered and maybe it's time to just put some of them to rest. You know, I think the one exception for me franchise wise that I think I enjoyed more than you did. And I really didn't enjoy it as much on the second watch was socks. Yeah. So- <laughs> socks. Yeah. Yeah. Tobin Bell did an amazing job. He was great. It was, it was a, probably the top, a top three saw movie. We'll say that. Yeah. Out of uh, obviously 10 of them and soon to be 11. (laughs) And so like, but like you said, Tobin Bell, I think really did an amazing job in this movie. And the whole thing starts out as just like a man's journey through cancer and then becomes the saw that we know and love, you know? And I, I I don't know if that saves it or not. No, it doesn't. And it makes it worse to me in some ways because it really tries to set him up. You know, as some sort of like, and you know, anti-hero. a sympathetic villain. Yeah. yeah, and um, I can you can make a sympathetic villain without making him an antihero. You know, and they really tried to tread that line, and it didn't really work for me. Yeah, but um, that's me. So yeah, yeah, that was a standout of all the franchise stuff. That was probably the best besides Scream, um, which was a kind of a good entry, I guess. Scream never has super sucked, I guess. Um, I also wanted to call out Smoking Causes Coughing. Which is another <laughs> film that was a lot overlook. Yeah. yeah, and of course, this is French. This is Quentin Dupieux or whatever. Um, <laughs> I don't know how to say French stuff. Um, uh, what else did he do? Like the tire one? Rubber. Rubber. Yeah, mandibles. Yeah. So this is kind of an anthology, uh, which I did not expect. And it's batshit. And it was on my top 10 forever. And uh, it just recently got marked down. Um, but I will definitely recommend that and watch it. Uh, it's, it's one of those that's kind of probably fun with, um, a little help from your favorite substances. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah. But smoking causes coffee is just a lot of fun. If you're looking for something wacky and dark and weird power Rangers with gore, <laughs> like <laughs> sitting around a campfire telling stories, uh, with talking fish and, uh, bucket head monsters and <laughs> <laughs> just random was, shit and a talking rat with ooze and having sex with women. Yeah. It was fucking bonkers. Was shit. Yeah. Just and, absolute bad shit. And a lot of fun. And yeah. uh, it was really high on my list for most of the year too. And it's sort of like, it's still toward the, the top of it. Like it's definitely in the top 15, but like, yeah, me too. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like 2023 was the year that I need to learn to let expectations go because other movies came out this year that I've just like five nights at Freddy's. I've been talking about that on the podcast since we started this podcast. And it was to me like one of the worst movies of the year. And like just every step of the way, I found myself just waiting, just waiting for a movie to like, you know, floor me. Well, yeah. And th- th- we talked about the franchises. This is what I would call the tent poles, right? Yeah. So we got Voyage of the Demeter, which was, I absolutely fucking hated everyone else loved, but I have I still haven't seen it. Fucking hate it. Yeah. You, you probably haven't seen it because I told you not to, um, because I absolutely hate it. It's one of my favorite chapters in Bram Stoker's Dracula mm-hmm. and, uh, Voyage of the Demeter. And, uh, you know, and they just, to me, it was just shitty. Absolutely shitty. I hated the Dracula in it. I didn't care about any of the characters. We had Boogeyman. That was just kind of ho-hum. Yeah. Renfield was kind of ho-hum to me, although fun. We saw that at Overlook as well. Five Nights at Freddy's, like you said, kind of ho-hum. And Godzilla, which everyone just is humping. Like Oscar crazy. nominated Godzilla. For what? This one. Best visual effects. Visual effects. Fine. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Great visual effects. I was also kind of ho-hum on that. Mm-hmm. 
In fact, I was just scrolling through my list on Letterboxd and I was just like, all right, is there anything else that I feel like needs some sort of mention? And I was just like, no, because they're all just like, they're just, they're just there. They're good. They are, they're good to okay movies Yeah, was what 2023 was, you know? Um, I, I feel like there are some movies that probably deserve a little bit of mention. Like maybe no one will save you. I thought had a good concept to it. Right. But, and the aliens were really cool looking. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed that. It was like a number 10 for me for a long time. It just got pushed off recently. And, uh, I, I, some people hate that ending. I actually dig it. I, I liked it, like it, but it's a journey that matters. And there was a lot, it's aliens, but it's one of the only ones where the aliens don't all look alike. And so all uh-huh. the aliens look different. So if you're afraid of a certain like kind of look uh, or something, you might, it might be in there and it might scare the shit out of you. I was, I was into it. I was into that movie all the way up until the ending. And I was just like, what? Come yep. What now? Yep. It ruined it for me. And, but not enough for me to hate that movie. I think I gave it like three and a half stars. It was still a good, there's a weird movie. plot to it as well. It just doesn't sit really right, but, but the it's aliens, just a lot of though, fucking fun. That girl did a great job and she was amazing. Were, were great. I thought the effects were were special and it's just a good fun popcorn horror watch. Um, you know. Uh, I also kind of wanted to mention Interview with a Vampire TV. Mm-hmm. I didn't watch much horror TV. I meant to watch Chucky at some point. We this always year. say that every year on these episodes. Yeah, you know, and it's like all the others that we've been told to watch, you know, like 30 coins has been on our list for like five years. Yeah. You know, like uh we're just not huge tv watchers mm-hmm. when it comes to horror and we need we really like are dropping the ball there although i did watch interview with the vampire on amc plus um starring jacob anderson as louis and sam reed as lestat and i was floored with how good sam reed was as the lestat and of course jacob anderson does great uh edward what is it edward bogosian <laughs> or just Bog- someone bogosian <laughs> yeah from dolores claiborne that we just talked about yeah bogosian. so yeah and he's he's in it as well um but it's great it's they did a, an amazing job at that series and uh they're really just pumping it you know they've, they've done a whole se- uh, season and they're only halfway through the fucking first book which is disappointing but they really got the atmosphere and the acting down and i can't wait to see what they do with it and the season two i think is about to be released soonish well, I need to get on that and finish it because I started it. And also I, the music's by the guy that did Green Knight. It was great. It is it is high on my list of things to finish for sure. Guys, obviously we want to know like if we missed some movies um, and if we didn't talk about something that was something that you really, really loved and we just failed to mention it, you know, like let us know what that is and um we'll, we'll check it out but like obviously we watched other movies we I did think. we watched i think you watched 32 i watched 33 or something yeah i like have that. logged 32 movies and, and we've only talked about like 12 13 14 on this podcast. Yeah. so we've watched a lot more than this but we only talked about the best and the worst i think that's true and a lot the of the franchises and tent poles but uh i don't know to let us know if we missed something if there's like a hidden gem diamond in the rough somewhere that we've we've missed along the way and we'll let you know um easiest thing nowadays is just to join as a patron and comment on these episodes or in our chat over there that's right we do have a chat that although started. we need to work on those notifications <laughs> Please, Patreon. But it would not be a year-end episode without looking forward into 2024. And there are a handful of movies that I think that Chris and I are kind of like looking forward to or at least are interested in, like uh, The First Omen, which is coming out in April, right? So The Omen prequel? Yeah. That comes out right around the time we're going to be in Overlook Film Festival this year. And so I'm really, really looking forward to that. 
Uh, along with, uh, we're going to be talking about Shooting the Flames February, Abigail trailer just launched, which looks really, really fun. We'll be talking about that then. That's right. Hoping I get to see that maybe at the Overlook, along with the biggest buzz out of Sundance, which is a movie called I Saw the TV Glow. Mm-hmm. And it's supposed to be kind of Buffy-esque. So I'm really, really on board for that. And I'm hoping we get to see all those at Overlook, if not in the theaters around that time. Uh, we have, so one of my favorite horror movies, the strangers is having some sort of rebooting and the strangers chapter one directed by none other than Rennie Harlan God is coming it. out. I know like part of my soul died a little bit when I saw that he was directing that movie. I keep thinking that's one of those director names when you don't want to be listed as director, <laughs> like an Alan Smithy film. Yeah. <laughs> it's a Rennie Harlan film. We're going to find out. I mean, like I wasn't fully on board when they made the strangers Two pray at night. I've liked it better on subsequent watches. So I don't know, maybe like Rennie will surprise us, but uh, we also have the quiet place prequel. So day one. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. And uh, alien Romulus is coming out this August. So, and that is Fidi Alvarez's entry into the alien franchise. And I think we talked about a news article on a shooting the flames recently, but Ridley Scott has already seen it and has liked it very much. Well, that's, um, I don't know if I trust Ridley Scott anymore. I, know. I almost trust Rennie, Rennie Harlan. He did the long kiss goodnight back in 1996, but who knows if he's still a good director. Uh, really, Scott hasn't been a good director for like 20 years, so we'll see. I haven't seen Napoleon. Did he do Napoleon? Yeah. It yeah. wasn't listed as a best picture nom. No, it didn't get any Oscar nominees, actually. I it think. did. Oh, wait, maybe a costume designer. Yeah, like costumes that. and some other things. Um, and then I think maybe like one of the things that I'm most looking forward to, and I don't know why, because I, I am kind of weary now of some of these like big name horror directors that came out over the last 10 years, but Robert Eggers is Nosferatu is coming out on Christmas day. Yeah. I liked, I liked the witch. The witch was great. Um, I did not enjoy the lighthouse as much, although it's high art. And then the next one he did, I didn't appreciate as much either. The Norseman the Norse, or something like that. The Northman. Northman. Yeah. yeah the acting was great. That. I mean, everything was narratively story-wise. It just wasn't great. But Nosferatu has like a stacked, a stacked cast. And like, I'm kind of here for it because it looks like homage to classic horror. But, and there are some things that are supposed to be released in 2024. Well, that, wait, like what, I guess that could be the year for Alexander Skarsgård, right? Or is it, is it Alexander or is it the other? Bill. Bill Skarsgård, because he is also going to be, uh, of course, I think he's playing. The um, Crow. The Crow. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and which may come out this year. But also he's going to be in. Nosferatu. Nosferatu. He's playing mm-hmm. um, Nosferatu guy. Whatever. Count Orlock. And we're still waiting on a release date for Maxine. So the final movie in the X trilogy. So I'm looking forward to that, even though Mia Gothaprey wants to kick people in the head. And uh, they've been threatening to release Salem's Lot, which has been filmed for lo these many years now and has not seen the light of day. I assume eventually they're just going to shove it onto a streaming platform and we will not get the theater release that I'm Why? for. Why? Is it that bad? I'm starting to think. Who directed it? I don't know. But it's been finished Ridley for, Scott. for more than two <laughs> years. Ridley Scott. A Ridley Scott Salem's Lot. Um, Damn it. It's Kevin Spacey. They had to re- reshoot every fucking frame of film. They had to edit him out completely. <laughs> um, but if they've held on to a movie for more than two years without release, I'm starting to think that maybe it's just probably not very good. There's also a new Conjuring movie coming out this year, too. So. Oh, okay. Well, I'm always on board for those. They've been surprisingly good. Yeah. So Maybe not the most rewatchable after the first couple, but certainly very good the last one I liked yeah Yeah. me too so 
Well, I think that just about wraps up 2023 and our discussion about it. Let's never speak of it again, never. shall we? Unless you decide to leave us a comment and you can do that on social media. Follow us at the Film Flamers on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, X, whatever they're called now. We're on all the places. Yeah, you can also email us at tiredgreensatfilmflamers.com or you can call our hotline at 972-666-7733. Rainy R. Harlan's Skin of My Rink. Ooh. Actually, don't do that. That movie's terrible. Oh, that sounds itchy. <laughs> <laughs> like Chris said earlier, head over to patreon.com slash thefilmflamers to join our family over there. We have a whole group chat going, which um, whenever I open it and try to talk to people, it seems like there's lots of discussions going on. So... Yeah. I have been having a good time going through and seeing what everyone's talking about over there. In fact, I've gotten some recommendations of things that I would like to watch and added to my watch list from it. So For real. And uh, guess what? Next month, we've got more episodes coming out. Shocker. That's right. Even though 2023 ended, 2024 is just beginning. And it's February. It's the month of love. And we're going to be talking about Possession. And It Follows. Finally, It Follows. I think one of the movies that prompted us to even want to have a podcast to begin with. Mm, Nothing like sexually transmitted demons to get a podcast rolling. Mm, I mean, it's my fantasy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Chris, I think it's time for us to uh, go off, let 2023 go up in flames. And have some sweet dreams. Out of five stars, what would you rate 2023? Three stars. It was three stars. Definitely. I would say a two and a half. It was a two and a half year. Yeah, it wasn't quite like 2020, but it was the worst year since 2020, I think. Oh, I wouldn't go that far. I think 2023 was just middle of the road. Like every horror movie I saw. (laughs) Beige. (laughs) 